Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. So you made your list, checked it twice, and are looking for deals that are oh so nice? You can count on JCPenney to find everything you need to make your holiday memorable at all the best prices. And the deals keep getting better with JCPenney's Cyber Days. Want the insider scoop on our best offers? Stay tuned for a little inspiration. Plus, learn how you can take an additional 35% off your order. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. You're what's good, everybody. My name is Rome, and I am one-third of the Comedy Trap House Trio. All right, listen, you may know us from our YouTube channel, Dormtainment. If you haven't seen it, please go over there, check it out, all right? Comedy Trap House is a podcast where we get together weekly and talk about anything and everything, stupid or serious, like how aliens are possibly the reason for unread text messages, or what happened to the Captain Planet kids? These are the things we like to talk about. Also things like pop culture, anything we saw in the news, or really, really dumb friend debates. I know y'all have all had those debates with your friends. All right, listen, if you need a place to sit back, have a laugh with some friends, Comedy Trap House is for you. Join us every Tuesday, I mean every Tuesday, for a lighthearted hour of fun and friendship. Find Comedy Trap House for free wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to another episode of Classic Black Dude with your host, Clark Jones, a.k.a. Posh Strickland. Here, still doing it. I feel energetic. I feel good. It's uh, it's impossible to, to say that, you know, it's the news is coming hot and heavy. It's like three in the day. Rest in peace to John Lewis, civil rights icon, not Elijah Cummings, who did pass away, what according to Marco Rubio, it was not yesterday. So a lot of Fox News switcheroos have been happening. I, I keep thinking it's going to be the end of this. Uh, like, I, I keep thinking like 2020, you know, people going to look back and say, okay, no more excuses. You can't say, oh, I didn't know blackface. I didn't know I couldn't do that because it's everywhere. Unless, I can't even say if you're a baby because babies have their own Instagram page now. So everybody should be fully aware of what's going on from wearing masks, it's just, it's just new news all the time. But what matters that as they relate to black people, obviously that's what Classic Black Dude is about, but the biggest takeaway in the past week is just um, people, people are taking barbershop conversations and putting them in a public space. And the thing about barbershop conversations is they're mostly unresearched. Barbershop conversations at, at their core is to just say something to pass the time. The more engaging the conversation is, the more you're not thinking about, I got another hour wait until it's my turn in the chair. So with that, people say a lot of uh, ear grabbing things. And I'll admit, just to give you some backstory, this past week, uh, comedy aficionado, <laughs> Mr. Stallworth, Nick Cannon, made some very, and people have even been hesitant to use this word because it, it, it didn't start with Nick Cannon saying anti-Semitic things. It started with me with seeing Ice Cube, then Deshaun Jackson, then Steven Jackson, no relation, uh, and then Nick Cannon speaking on the history of it. 
Um, and I'm one to say, look, if I don't know something, that's one of the great things about comedy is like, if I don't know something, I could just ask somebody. Most comedian, most good comedians I know are well-read or well-researched um, on a lot of things. Some, some guys are just dumb. That's, that's, that's just a part of the game. But like the curiosity of like, oh, I don't know about this thing. Let me look it up, whether it's for personal growth or to develop chunks. A chunk in comedy is when you have a series of bits that all fall under the same category. And one of the guys that's not only a good friend of mine, but also a great comedian who, who's well-versed in putting together chunks of comedy who could take a topic and hash out bit after bit. And last but not least, one of my favorite schlemiesels, here the schlemazzle. <laughs> my man Noah Gardenswartz. What's up, Noah? Not much. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. For those, for those listening, that is an inside joke between me and Noah. Don't go look it up. Oh, Laverne and Shirley need to be canceled. That's what yeah, right? I was about to say. That <laughs> yeah, because people are that. You know what? I take for granted, like, people's knowledge. Cause, and I think everybody does is You think people know at least as much as you know. And so, no, Shlemiesel is not a, uh, a slur towards any community. But uh, Noah who I've noticed over the past week because of everything. And I just want to get into it straight. I know we're going to do a lot of intro. We'll get to that. But yeah. the big news is just anti-Semitism within the black community. And I just want to, without even prompting, like what has been your reaction to some of the, the news lately? I mean, I've, I've had several reactions. It's taken me days to process my own thoughts on it. Um, because I didn't have one initial reaction. I guess my first initial reaction was I was caught off guard or surprised. You know, like it just kind of came out of left field. Like as as a Jewish person, I was always raised to understand there was always going to be anti-Semitism. I was certainly understanding of the fact that in general, there's a lot of people in the world who hate Jews or have anti-Semitic views. Um, this was my first experience really seeing a lot of anti-Semitism or what people would call anti-Semitism from the black community. And that caught me off guard. This is your first time ever. It, it's, not my, it's not my first time ever encountering anti-Semitism from the black community, but on this level. Like it was, it was the first time where it was seemed to be unrelenting and from black people with large platforms. Like you said, it was the first time I had seen it taken from the barbershop or street corner talk to like people with millions of followers and listeners really believing it. And then it being from one celebrity to the next to the next where it just felt like a pile on of prominent black figures with a lot of followers and ears on them spouting anti-Semitic beliefs. Did the doubling down once told, did the doubling down shock you at all? Well, when you when you say doubling down, are you talking about Steven Jackson? Anybody. Like, when they're like, yo, this is wrong, and people are well, still like, nah, fuck well, that. So, so part, part of what was so difficult about it is there were things said that I thought weren't necessarily anti-Semitic so much as they were pro-Black that I didn't have a problem with that mm. then erased the anti-Semitic views. Like, like, that's the thing that got lost in the conversation is I, and I think a lot of Jews, never had any problem with a statement of, 
original Jews were black. Black people came from the Hebrews. Like I, I have a joke about how Moses looked more like Cat Williams than Charlton Heston. Like yeah. I'll be, I'll be the right. first person to tell you that the original Jews did not look like me. You know, I, like no one's in denial of that. What stand in anti-Semitism was that white Jews or Ashkenazi European Jews like myself are fake Jews who enslaved the black people and then used the the Jewish origin or the Hebrew title to then run a global scheme of Zionist domination. That's where that's where it turned into like blatant hatred, anti-Semitism. Yeah. And so, so that's what I'm saying is there was so much to digest just based on the fact that there were so many things being said. And so the doubling down. So again, it's like when Steven Jackson or Deshaun Jackson are saying they're speaking their truth, there were elements of their truth, which I had absolutely no problem with the truth being that Jewish people used to be black or, or the original Hebrews were black people that like doubling down on that in a sense of black empowerment, certainly at a time where there's a movement where black empowerment is necessary. I had absolutely no problem with that. It was where it took a hard left that, that I was like, Oh no, that that's not only fucked up. It's also wrong. And the sentiments that you're echoing have caused a lot of dangerous behavior towards Jews in the past. Um, and then it, it just hit me on a on a more personal level because it I have seemed, such a personal because I you you're from from what I know about you you you're mostly like a, a a collected guy like you may feel strongly about something but this is one of the times that I've seen you react like continuously if that makes sense like to say like yo I really have to say something about this from a personal level. Yeah, and I felt like I had to say something about this from a personal level. Firstly, firstly, because this is one of the few times where I felt like I actually had the information and the education to correct some of the misstatements. So, like, I feel like when you see falsehoods being put out, if you actually have the information, regardless of what it's talking about, you have a responsibility to try to get the correct information out there. But then also, um, it was a more personal issue for me just because I have such an attachment to the black community. I have so many really strong friendships and connections to black people that I want to make sure that I could do what I could do to nip, nip any tensions in the bud. Like I don't want to see the black community come for the Jewish community. I don't want to see the Jewish community coming for the black community. So as a person who has deep relations and bonds to both communities, I wanted to kind of be a middle ground or an outreach, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that's what I ended up doing with the later half of my week. At first, I had to process the things being said. And at first, I had to have my anger and then my understanding and then my education. And then instead of being angry and calling out for Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon to apologize, I was more about like creating bonds in those communities with people that I could actually reach out to. Like after, after Wild and Out got canceled, I reached out to three or four different cast members from Wild and Out that I'm good friends with. Mm-hmm. To be like, hey, just so you know, there's bullshit coming from every direction. But whatever your next move is, I'm here for it. If I can help you in any way as an advocate, as an ally to to amplify whatever your next move is, let me know. My phone is open anytime. And so that's where I can affect change for the positive on the ground level. Right. Yeah, because Noah, for those who don't know, two things I want to because because we we're two comedians. We got our jokes, got our laughs, but there's some a lot. There's so much to learn that I, that, I, that I saw people who I thought were very well-versed or well-known on, on subjects didn't know. First of all, uh, no one's school in Atlanta, which is 
the it's Austin, Texas for black people as far as education goes. <laughs> but he's a graduate of Emory University, where I spent a lot of time. You know, it, Atlanta's a college town. It, I went to Morehouse, which is HBCU, but I wanted to suck out the whole fruit of the <laughs> college experience. So I hung out over there. And you can't, and you also did comedy in Atlanta, which is another like a hotbed of, of black comedy. Um, so you, like, I'm just saying, I'd say he has some, he has the, the, the history. And I taught, I taught elementary school in Atlanta at an all black school. So, was it Kip Ways? No, T.H. Slater. T.H. Slater, okay. I, I, I don't know. Is that Eastside? Where, where's T.H. Slater? It's it's like kind of near Swats. It's uh, it's oh, you know where it is. It's right down the street from the Wendy's that got burned down, where Rayshard Brooks got shot. It was like that Wendy's was yeah. the Wendy's I used to go to on my lunch break. See what I'm saying? If I'm gonna have somebody talking, I'm gonna have the right people talking. But a lot of people. Let me let me let's just clear up a few things. What's the difference between an Ashkenazi Jewish person and a Sephardi? Uh, a Sephardic Jewish person. So Ashkenazi Jews are Jews that uh, their ancestors originate from Europe, and Sephardic Jews are um, typically Middle Eastern, Spanish, North Africa. And then there's Mizrahi Jews, which is like Iraq and Iran. But typically, like in, in layman's terms, Ashkenazi Jews are white Jews, and Sephardic Jews are Jews of color. So like the difference between Seinfeld, who is Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi. And Sephardic, who I don't even know any famous Sephardic Jews that I could even uh, in America. They're probably, to be perfectly honest, I couldn't. I couldn't like the thing is in America, ninety percent of the Jews are Ashkenazi Jews. So that's why there's been such uh, a like Jews are white Jew and like people when they think about Jews, they think about white people in America because most of America's Jews are white Jews. And a, lot of, and a lot of people don't understand how diverse and varied the Jewish people are, both in terms of physical, like Jews come from all different walks of life, ethnicities, origin stories. Mm -hmm. But even from a religious or a, a pious standpoint, like there's, um, there's Orthodox, unorthodox, and most of South Williamsburg is... Hasidic. Yeah, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's so many different sects and divisions of Judaism. And that's why it's not funny to me because it is a dangerous stereotype. But when you talk about like the Jewish agenda to dominate the world, if anyone really knew Jews, they would know how ridiculous that is just based on how divided the Jewish world is amongst themselves. Right, right, right. Like, like the, the idea that all Jews are on the same page and working towards the same goal of zionist jewish domination is ridiculous i mean if you need any proof that there is no agenda one common agenda shared by um by all members of the jewish faith look no further than bernie sanders who right who was who was destroyed by the media yeah absolutely. <laughs> you know there, there's an old jewish street joke about a jewish man was on a deserted island and when people came to save him he showed him around the island and he said, these are the two synagogues. And they said, there's only one of you here. Why do you have two synagogues? He said, this synagogue is where I go pray. And this synagogue, I would never step foot in. 
Right? So, <laughs> you can tell that joke. Right, right. No, but I'm saying like that, that's a joke about like how Jews love to argue with each other regardless. But, but one thing I just want to touch on before we like, in case we move on or anything like that is first of all, I really, I, I truly accepted Deshaun Jackson, Steven Jackson and Nick Cannon's apology. Okay. Uh, so like there, as far as my end, there's certainly no ill will. And to be perfectly honest, I never thought Deshaun Jackson was anti-Semitic. I never thought Steven Jackson was anti-Semitic. And I don't think Nick Cannon was anti-Semitic. I think they had misinformation that led them to say things with anti-Semitic roots. But if you ask me, do I think any of them actually hate Jewish people? No, I do not. That, and that's fair. I think that as an, as an adult, I'm very, I have a low tolerance for, for excuses on things when you're given the information. And you know, Nick knows where P- Professor Griff stands on Jewish, the Jewish community. Like, sure. he knew that going in. He knew what he wanted to say. And my thing is, the, sharing the truth, and I put air quotes, is like sharing the truth with no agenda or with no purpose behind it is dangerous. And it's, I don't have any respect for it. So it's like, you're saying Jews are doing this to black people. Okay. So, so what do we do next? Well, yeah, I mean, that that was another thing, like even with the Deshaun Jackson quote of like white people, white Jews are fake Jews, right? Black people are the real Jews. It's like, okay, so what, what's the end game here? Like I (laughs) have to, what I have to stop being Jewish. Like, cause my Judaism is strictly based on, the cultural practice that I have, the religious aspect that I practice. So what, am I not allowed to say the prayers that I grew up saying? Do I have to renounce right. my bar mitzvah? What, what exactly is the end goal of that statement that I'm not a real Jew? But, but I guess say all that to say after, after they all said that, like you and I spoke early on mm-hmm. uh, when, when things were starting to kind of heat up and I was in agreement with you because I believe you were talking to some Jewish people who were upset that more black celebrities or black people in general weren't outspoken against the anti-Semitism the way so many people seem to be outspoken against anti-black racism that's happening in America. Mm -hmm. And I was of the opinion that right now, black people are dealing with so much in their fight for equality that's been so long delayed that I understand black people not wanting to speak out against anti-Semitism right now in that it might take away attention from the fight that they've been having to fight for too long. So, So for me, when all those statements came out, I, I was never bothered or offended by a lack of black outcry against anti-Semitism. What I was bothered by is after they made those statements, the amount of people that I saw on social media and even some of my friends who are smart people that I know are educated responding like, I see no lies. He said nothing wrong, but what he said was the truth. Or when Nick Cannon apologized and people commenting under like, why are you apologizing? You didn't say anything wrong. That like I didn't need I didn't need I didn't need black people to come out and speak out against anti-Semitism. I needed them just not to actively support it once it was proven to be anti-Semitic. There, and that's 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 a that's an excellent point in that like you know there's one thing not to know, and then there's one thing not to flagrantly not know and promote your not knowing this because. It's a privilege to be like, yeah, man, kill yourself further. You know what I'm saying? Because it don't affect you. Like, whether Nick can apologize or doesn't apologize, it doesn't. You're taking your frustration, your anger, 
with uh, society and telling him be the uh, like be the martyr for my pissed offness or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And one thing I learned, and this is important, and I want you to speak on this before we go to break, is that this was this is what I was told in my conversations. Yes, as far as ownership and power in the media, it is there are there is a lot of Jewish people in charge and who own a lot of stations and a lot of media. But it has less to do with their Jewishness and mostly almost 100 percent to do with their whiteness. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. And furthermore, I would say when you talk about Jews control the media, that misnomer, I would say rather than Jews control the media, there are a lot of people with control in the media who happen to be Jewish. And the reason I phrase it like that is because, again, they're not using their Judaism to conglomerate power towards some fictional Jewish end. You know, like, just because there are a lot of Jews who work in the media and have powerful or controlling positions, they're not all coming together as Jewish people to then advocate for some kind of Jewish agenda that's going to lead to domination. Like, this, the whole idea, like, Jews controlling the media has come out in several ways, but as it was pertained to in America, at first it was popularized in the early 1900s by the far-right conservative Christians who thought that Jews were using their power to speak out on liberal causes. Right. So like, yeah, it's like both sides of the same coin. Yeah, and before we go to break, the other thing I just wanna clear up just as a point of education, cause like one thing I've heard so much from the online waves of like, how can we be anti-Semitic when black people are Semitic, Jews aren't the only Semites. The term anti-Semitism was coined by a German in 1879 to describe anti-Jewish racism. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't Jews didn't create the term anti-Semitism to only cover themselves and negate other Semitic people. Jewish people are absolutely not the only Semitic people, but they're also not responsible for the term anti-Semitism starting to be synonymous with anti-Jewish hatred. So when when people go down this rabbit hole of, how could I be anti-Semitic when I'm Semitic? They're playing semantics with the word Semitic. Right, right. Because the word ill doesn't mean, we don't use it how it was coined. Right, like it's it's not Jewish people's fault that a German decided to say anti-Jewish is anti-Semitic. Yeah, it's not, they're taking it, you're playing the semantics with taking the word literally when it's used as a specific or for a specific group of people. Not that we're disagreeing with the history of the origin, like you said, but saying, trying to trying to play fast and loose, so to speak, with it to make a point that really didn't go anywhere. Like, Correct. okay, you're saying that to say, like, black people, this for the black people listening to this, we don't need more enemies. That's what pissed me off. Like, why, why, why add? We didn't stop. We were in the process of trying to stop police brutality and all this other racist shit, like, why, 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 why add enemies if yeah, we already struggle? <laughs> that's that's kind of why everything hurt my heart so deep to the core is I've been so proud to see how overwhelmingly supportive of Black Lives Matter and the end of Black oppression yeah. the Jewish community has been, and certainly my Jewish circles, and I don't want anything to get in the way of Jewish support of black equality because i do recognize that jewish people have political power and i do think that jewish people are good at organizing 
and getting goals met. And so Jewish people can certainly be a powerful ally. And I would hate to see that allyship and that partnership deteriorate based on a few people saying uninformed things. Boom. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on Classic Black Dude. We got Noah G, short for Garden Sports. (laughs) We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Binge on 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, and everything from hit movies to the latest news, comedy, live sports, and more. Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. All right, we back here, man. Clearing out the air on a lot of things as, as best we can as two comedians. And comedians, we, we can be dumb. We make a lot of dumb decisions on a personal level. But like I said, man, co- comedians, the good ones. And I consider myself a good one. I consider Noah a great one um, and a very successful one that uh, we, 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 we're well studied on a lot of things. And we were talking about taking all this black and Jewish conflict personally. And we both live, Noah and I both lived in New York City, in Brooklyn to be specific. A lot of the anti-Semitic sentimentality that we see out of a lot of black people comes from the two coasts, Brooklyn specifically. And we talked about uh, Hasidic Jews and their uh, kind of strained relationship because a lot of property is owned by Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn. And a lot of the tenants are black people. And I want to ask you about being conflated with, like when, it, when, when a black person says something anti-Semitic against the Jewish community, um, do you feel like they're taking their experiences with Hasidic Jews and putting it on you? Is that a fair comparison or conflation? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all situational. Like, if a black person says something anti-Semitic, my natural assumption is not that they live in a building owned by Hasi. Like, I don't, I have to understand the context for anyone's um, comments, regardless of who said what. But specifically, as it pertains to that, I understand where a lot of anti-Semitic um thoughts come from black people whose literal only interaction with Jewish people is the Hasidic community of Brooklyn who owns the buildings they live in. I understand why that would be a frustrating and difficult relationship to see past. And that's where it's on both groups. It's on Jewish people who are not Hasidic landlords to be more public and do better outreach to the black community to realize that they paint a very small picture of the Jewish people. And it's also on black people to realize that all Jewish people are not Hasidic landlords. You know, I I think one thing both Jewish people and black people 
suffer from is having one representation encompass an entire group of people unfairly. Absolutely. Like I thought, speaking to my own ignorance, I thought rabbis were Hasidic Jews. And like every, because you know why? Seinfeld. Seinfeld <laughs> made me think. Well, well, Every, that, every, 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 every Jewish person with curls, those were the, the rabbis or the pastors and everybody else was just church members or synagogue. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is like the, the most extreme Hasidic Jews wouldn't mm-hmm. even consider me Jewish based on my, based on my lack of religiosity towards certain Jewish practices. And I'm Jewish as it comes. Right. So, you know, so it's like, again, there's, they represent, a fanatic wing of Judaism. And I think whether you're talking about Jewish people, black people, Muslim people, white people, is the fanatics of every group that that casts a negative light. And by the way, that's not me, that's not me saying all Hasidic people are like that. I know a lot of wonderful Hasidic people who who are truly kind individuals and truly just want to live a pious life. But there absolutely are cases of Hasidic landlords in Brooklyn that have treated their black residents unfairly. And I'm not going to deny that that exists. And I also understand why if you were a black person and that was your only limited experience or exposure to Jewish people, why you would then fairly but unfairly hold anti-Semitic views. That, that happened to me when I first moved to Brooklyn. It was me, and you know this story, me, um, Will Miles and Kenny DeForest, we moved there. We got in the U-Haul truck, came to Brooklyn, and was already moving. We had the guarantors, we had the paperwork, we had everything. But when they saw us, they saw three black dudes and a white guy, they denied us uh, our apartment. And we spent the first night there homeless. And the initial thing was, because I I still had a lot to learn, on a personal level, um, I was ready to be like, okay, well, I I saw things like this on TV, but to, I didn't think it would really happen like that because it was so blatantly anti-black. And to that end, I'll say that's shameful and, and it's inexcusable. And that's the kind of Jewish interaction that would make me ashamed of those Jewish people. And I also thank you for your open-mindedness in after that dealing, understanding that there are different Jewish people that don't Absolutely. behave like that. You not, know? Not, not only on the, the, the whole religion as a whole, but I met different members of the Hasidic community who would come to comedy shows. And that also taught me, isn't it strange how like, I think about all the white people in comedy, especially in New York, how little they would know if they didn't get into stand-up. Right. And get to meet and see. Some people still ignore it, but we ain't gonna get into that. But like, even not even from a malicious standpoint, but comedy has opened the door, because you hear people's jokes over and over again. You drink with different people. You fuck around with different people. You make friends with different people that even I wouldn't have had the opportunity had it not been for the arts. Right. And, and listen, at, at the end of the day, exposure is the greatest antidote to hate. It, it right. truly is. Like the more people you meet from a variety of those groups, you'll see that every group of people has some great people, some shitty people. And, and the, more, the more you meet from that group, less likely you are to paint that entire group of people with one broad brush, especially if it's a brush of hatred. Yeah, I mean, that's my, that's my hope 
with with this show. I don't have a lot of white people on the show, um, just because I feel like <laughs> I can. It's so many stories to tell, but it's not exclusive. It's like I I implore everybody to listen so they can get an idea of like that. There's not just one type. I kind of consider myself an ambassador of different experiences of black folks. Well, well, I appreciate you having me as one of the select white guests. Yeah, I knew you could do it, man. I knew it. Like you just, you have that experience. Not only that, you have a, you have an incredible platform with the show. Now are you head writer for Mrs. Meisel? No, no. The creators, Amy and Dan Sherman Palladino are the head writers. I, I've been promoted every season. So now I'll be co-producer. I've been a, I've been a staff writer every year, but I'll, I'll be co-producer going into season four. Congratulations, man! Thank you, I appreciate that. But I wanted to. What was interesting what you were talking about with like Seinfeld because I know a lot of the gripe with the black community as it pertains to Jews in Hollywood is negative images of black people and like the Jewish responsibility to be more responsible with the way black people and black stories are portrayed and told. Absolutely. And I'm fully on and I'm fully on board with that. And again, I, I would associate that more to whiteness than Jewishness. But um, as a Jewish person, 99% of the time, I hate the way Jewish people are portrayed on TV. Like Seinfeld, Seinfeld is the standard bearer of a Jew on TV, but he was a character who just happened to be Jewish. And anytime he portrayed actual Jewish things happening, I hated the way he made Jews look. I hated every rabbi that appeared on Seinfeld. I hated the moil that appeared on Seinfeld. Oh, that was a horrible it, episode. That's the it, worst it, episode. It was, a shitty, it was a shitty portrayal of Jews and Judaism. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, that, that wasn't necessarily like... That's, that's TV across the board. Right. Um, especially if you're representing uh, a subsect of America. Like white people, as a white person, you get the whole gamut. From right. pain to fear to happiness, that whole gamut. But it's so polarizing when it comes to members of a certain group. And from outside, I'm looking like, damn, man, the whole New York Jewish experience is nine seasons worth of it. But you're just like, yeah, but it ain't right. <laughs> I, right like I, and I've, I've pitched, as a Jewish person, talking to Jewish executives, I've pitched show ideas where I would like to be more responsible with the Jewish portrayal or what I see to be a more realistic version of the Jewish experience. And every time I met with, no one cares about seeing a Jewish family. Like when it comes to actual Judaism, no one's going to watch that. We're too mm-hmm. small of a minority. No one's interested in seeing actual Jews be Jewish. It's almost like you have to feed executives the stereo, the, the, the thing that outsiders are, are comfortable with seeing in it. So like right. there's a certain comfort, comfortable way white America likes to see black people. And so you at least have to start with that and then go into like, oh, he is a full person. But you have to start with the most polarizing stereotypes of like, you know, for y'all it's the cheapness or it's the, uh, which I've seen everywhere. Even on Meisel, I've seen like the the, ha- the haggling Jew, as they would say. Right. And, and I would say, I would say overwhelmingly, Maisel has been responsible in the way they portray Judaism. First, first of all, it's multifaceted, and specifically they're responsible with the way um, actual Jewish ritual, like when we do something religiously Jewish, they do a really good job of listening to me about the way it would authentically be done. So I've been proud 
by and large of the way Maisel portrays Judaism. Mm. But even on a show where I have a Jewish responsibility in the writer's room about Jews, I've gotten into arguments over certain portrayals. You is know, it, so it's like, is it, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, so you, you're like, there's no way around occasional negative imagery of your people, regardless of who your people are. It's almost like the hook is like, all right, we're not going to blow your mind undoing stereotypes. We're going to introduce it just so you can get into it and be familiar, and then we'll unravel it. I like the subtlety of not just from the religious point, but from culturally. There was one episode, and I think this is season one, where uh, she made dinner, but she also ordered Chinese food just in case it didn't come. Sure. So it's like subtle Jewish women things without being like, oh, here's the Star of David. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Is that, yeah. Would you say that's an accurate thing, like from Jewish women that you know, like just little subtleties like that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I absolutely think the show is full of references or subtleties that non-Jews might not pick up on or certainly wouldn't appreciate the same way a Jewish person who's actually lived that exact experience would, would appreciate. Mm -hmm. I love those. The same way, the same way I can consume a lot of black television shows. And I would like to think I understand it on a really high level or relate to it on a high level, even though I'm not black, but I'm sure there are parts of the black experience that you have to be black to, to really on an intrinsic level, feel it and appreciate it. I love that type of, I love the type of comics and I try to be that type of comic that has that multi-layer to it. Where like, I had a joke about The Simpsons and I made a Poochie reference. And on the surface level, Poochie's a funny word and people right. laugh at that. But if you're a Simpsons fan, then you're like, oh, that was an actual reference to the show. So you get it on a different, like everybody's happy. Like you get right. it because that's a funny thing to say like, yeah, I made dinner, but I also ordered Chinese food. And if you're a Jewish right. person, it's funny and you know, so yeah. um, how has the how has the writers room experience been for you? It's been amazing for me, but I think I think I'm very fortunate in that the first writers room I was in, I'm I'm literally learning from two of the best to ever do it. Like the Paladinos are actual geniuses. Like I don't throw that word out lightly, and they're geniuses when it comes to television writing, and their record speaks for itself. And so. I'm really getting to learn under a master class. And then beyond that, the workers that they brought in to surround ourselves with in the writer's room are all people that I truly enjoy being around and have learned from as writers. It's, isn't it, it just seems like Amy's writing or the pace of it is what I pick up on. It's just like so fast. Cause she did yeah, more girls as well. Right. That's and her that show is super fast. Yeah. Was that hard to keep up with? Like joke, 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 joke. Well, no, because, well, first of all, a lot of the writing that gets done initially is a stream of consciousness rant that Amy goes on. Like, she'll channel these characters and just kind of go off for five or ten minutes, and everyone will just kind of look at the writer's assistant, like, were you recording that to make yeah. sure we didn't miss it? Because that's the, you could, like, her characters speak the way she's thinking in her own head. So her mind just moves a mile a minute. But, but beyond that, like, after she writes a script, we have our own time to digest that script and then suggest punch-ups or cuts or jokes so like she speaks at a certain pace that then gets written into a script and then i have my time to digest it okay that makes so sense. yeah yeah there's a there's a pay i mean like 
you have to have an. Uh, she gives you time to adapt to whatever. Yeah, she like the, the and like if you pitch in the writers' room, I don't need to make my pitches like this and speak at this pace. You know, like <laughs> I still get, I still get to be a regular and person. Comes in and she's talking real fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really, uh, it's really a great show, man. Like, and it just, if I feel like just watching it gives me, like, I like to go into situations knowing a little bit about what I'm talking about, and it, it just feels like it. It gives me a little bit, just having that knowledge of like, okay, this, I don't like to watch everything that I'm not familiar with because, you know, you want to see yourself. Right. And um, it just gives me a little bit more insight into a world that I didn't know anything about. Um, I appreciate that. What's what's the makeup of the room? Is it diverse, would you say? Could it use more diversity? It It is diverse and certainly by how many different standards of diversity there are. Like, first of all, it's a 50-50 split between men and women, um, which which is good. Um, it definitely could use diversity in terms of Jordan Temple is our only black writer. Mm-hmm. Last year, uh, we had a woman named Sono Patel, who was a great writer, who was on the staff, and she didn't come back this season just because the show's in New York, her life is in L.A., so she didn't want to uproot her life. So last year, out of eight writers in the room, only two were writers of color, um, but the two show creators are two of the eight. So of the six hired, there were only two of six that were writers of color. Um, but of the eight in the room right now, there's only three of us that are Jewish on a Jewish. So it's like, again, it's like. Midge from, isn't Jewish, right? Somebody said huh? that. Like said? the lead actress, she's not Jewish. Yeah, Rachel is not Jewish. I just found that out. Actually, the entire the entire Weissman family, like Tony Shalhoub, who plays her father, is not Jewish. I didn't think so. Okay, but but yeah. So like, say all that to say, yes, it is a diverse writers' room by certain standards, but it could certainly improve on its diversity in other standards. But like, the way people talk about lack of diversity in Hollywood rooms, is it a room full of white men? No. Nice. The show I wrote on. Black show that's supposed to come out season one, but you know, fucking Corona. Um, there were no straight white men at all. I was the only straight man, period. <laughs> and the rest were like, there was one Middle Eastern woman and the rest were black women. And there was the writer's assistant or who who's the one who types up all the the, the notes in the show? Writer's assistant. Writer's yeah. assistant. He was he wasn't a straight white man. So like I felt like, damn, I can't get used to this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but it was good as a first experience because I didn't have to. I just hear all these horror stories about like certain places where it's like they're all from Harvard and they all went and it's very cliquish. You know? What yeah, I'm that, I've I've never experienced that in any show I've written on, but I certainly know it exists, and I certainly wouldn't want to be a part of a show that had that kind of writers' room just because it would. Aside from the fact that I don't think it would do the stories justice, it also feels like it would be a boring hang. Like you spend so much time in the writer's room when you work on a show that you really have to enjoy the people you're working with. And I don't feel like I would enjoy being in a room like that. Oh, yeah. All right. We're going a quick break right here on Classic Black Dude with Mr. Noah Garden Swartz, the gregarious Mr. Garden Swartz. We'll be right back with our final segment, man. This 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 episode is flying by. We're learning so much. I'll be looking forward to y'all's comments on this, man. But um, we'll be right back on Classic Black Dude. 
Support for this podcast comes from American Express, who is proud to be backing 100 Black women entrepreneurs, like Ree Scott, who founded a boxing community for women. Boxing helps women and girls to build their confidence. Or Taylor Long, who founded a clothing brand for all. Everyone should have access to the same style of clothing, no matter their size. 100 Black women entrepreneurs. 100% backing of American Express business. Meet the 100 at AmericanExpress.com slash 100 for 100. Hey, I'm Kat Lasso. I'm Xavier Jernigan. And I'm Speedy Mormon. And together we're the hosts of Spotify's new morning show, The Get Up. Every day we're bringing you the biggest news stories and pop culture headlines. Ooh, and the conversations you need to be in on. Okay. Don't worry, if you're not a morning person, we're doing the work for you. So just search The Get Up, hit play, and listen up for everything you need to know. With a playlist made just for you. Listen now for free, only on Spotify. All right, we are back here with Noah Garden Schwartz, writer from Emmy Award winning, Emmy nominated? Award winning, yeah. Oh, shit. We got the Emmy. Got the Emmy for Mrs. Meisel. You just had a baby. Yeah. A baby girl? Baby boy, Moses. Baby boy. You know what? All my boys are becoming girl dads. So I, I know. Just, I just I'm, pumped I'm, you in. I'm the only one of my, like, good friends who had a boy first. And you did you continue on tradition of naming your son after a family member? Yeah, my mother passed away years ago, so he's named after my mother. What's what's oh we ain't got it. We ain't got Her name her name was Marsha, his name is Moses. Oh, so Moses and Marsha are like No, I just no, it's just uh in Jewish tradition a lot of times you take the first the first letter. Ah, okay. What's like? What's that like, man? What's that like right now? Like in the midst of everything going on, becoming a new dad. The the situation has been a complete double edged sword in that it's crazy to have been pregnant and then have a child in the age of Corona, uh, because like my family has not been a- been able to come see the baby, which is heartbreaking. Like this is my first child. My dad has not been able to meet him yet. And things like the brisk, the circumcision is a big deal. Like that's an Dude. event and my family couldn't be there. So that was hurtful. But at the same time, I've been incredibly lucky to be a father when the world shut down because I've spent every single day for my son's first two months of life with him, which would not have been the case if I was back at work or if the world was operating normal. So like on a very personal level, I've been blessed to have more time with him than I would have, but it's been incredibly difficult to basically not be able to share him with the world the way I would like to. I think being a comedian, and I would, I'm only guessing here, but being a dad are two things that require a, a fucking healthy dose of optimism to keep you going. Yes. And I'm just wondering, where do you channel your optimism, not only for yourself, but for your wife and for Moses? Well, I channel my optimism in a few ways. First of all, realizing how fortunate I truly am. Like in a time when so many people do not have a job, are hurting economically, or are literally dying or fighting for their life and getting sick. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. Thank God I still have a job I can provide for my son. So like, first and foremost, I don't have a lot to complain about at a personal level, I'm very fortunate. So from there, I just have a sense of optimism. And then beyond that, like having a son gave me a sense of purpose. Like instead of getting 
instead of getting down on the direction the world is going and being like, fuck it, I'm just going to give up. I don't even need to fight. Fuck this world. Fuck America. Fuck it all. Now I wake up every day like, no, I actually actively need to take a role in trying to improve things because I have a son that I'm trying to raise in this world. So if the choice is being pessimistic and sad and contributing to the pain that everyone's feeling or being optimistic and trying to be an agent for positive change so that my son can grow up in a better world, then I'm going to go for that every time. Does that feel like a burden or do you go like, hell yeah, I get to face a challenge? Both. Both, yeah. I mean, like, it's a challenge I take on happily, but it is burdensome and, like, I'm not sleeping well at night. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, you had to you had to watch the baby by yourself recently. Yeah, but that but that was that was lovely. That was for a good reason. That was so okay. Esther could go out and do a thing. Fuck yeah, man! How do you just to switch gears for a second? I hate using cliches like that, but whatever. You're a big sports fan. I, I am know from shit. You from Colorado and from an Atlanta standpoint. Like, do you think they should be playing? You think they should go with the season? Well, think they should be playing from a health standpoint or from a taking attention away from activism? Let's start, the, with, let's start with health. Let's start with health. For a health reason, at first I was going to say they should have been playing because it felt like the bubble was a responsible way to do it. Um, and I still feel like if they're going to do it, the NBA is a better way to do it than like the NFL's proposed just let everyone play and travel and live their lives but just have no fans in the stadium. I don't think there's any chance that this season ends in the bubble all the way. Like, I don't think there's any chance they make it all the way through without you having think to at some point the whole bottom going to fall out. Of this I think it's either going to, I think it's either going to fall out or you're going to see teams seventh, eighth and ninth man suddenly be in their starters come playoff and championship time, which is not what anyone's trying to see. So Would you put an asterisk on the title. Yeah. Damn. And, and honestly, even even if every player stayed healthy and it was every team's best players playing towards the end, they just came off of a four-month break and then are going to have a one-month season. So it's like it's, it's just not the same. Anyone who's played sports at a high level, it's like comedy. You need to be in a rhythm to do it exactly. at the highest level. And you can't hit pause for four months and then recreate the same season. Like now the standings, they're, they're going to be playing according to seeds that happened in March – in August. So it's, it's just not the same. Different, different, um, different cities have different fan bases that inspire you in different ways. It's almost like, like you said with comedy, like, yo, Chappelle getting his reps in. You know what I'm saying? Like, other, the more famous you are, Che does his show semi-regularly. Like, it's not, we're not, we're not the same. Like, right. I haven't been, I haven't done a stand-up where I was standing up comedy set since February, because I had even canceled shows before they shut everything down, because I was just like, I'm diabetic. I don't really feel comfortable in that space. So, like, I don't think they should do it at all, but I understand there's people who need to make money, man. There's, like, journalists, which we both uh, majored in. Like, like, were you sports, or were you just, like... Oh, no, I didn't major in in journalism. I just got a job at a paper. I interned. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I used to work for a newspaper, Creative Loafing, but I didn't major in journalism. Okay. But you yeah, were used at first, right? Like, yeah, I did, I did comedy coverage. And then you started doing it. Well, I was doing comedy while I was doing comedy coverage, and then I gave up the coverage angle because it was getting in the way of my own comedy. 
Were people getting mad at you? Like, why you? No, they, no, they weren't getting mad at me because I wasn't critical. Like, I wouldn't shit on anybody's comedy. If anything, I was trying to unfairly uplift and cover people that might not have even deserved it yet. So, like, I was trying to be a champion for a scene that didn't quite exist yet. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but, man. Um, but like, yeah, from from an activism standpoint, it's it's what you said. Like, I understand there's an interruption that is going to take away, but because the NBA seems to be committed to letting players with large platforms speak their mind and, and use this time to raise issues on social injustice. And like you said, at the end of the day, the more money that these players have to put to the causes they see fit, I think yeah. ultimately will weigh out in, on the side of good. I, I, I'm going to give Adam Silver the thumbs up on based on his uh, – because he's pretty much been – on the like out front on it before this like when he left you know the i can't breathe shirts back when kobe was still alive yeah i mean his first move as commissioner was to get donald sterling out of ownership so it's like he adam silver has proven to be an ally and be on the right side of racial history with every move that he's made as a g as the commissioner I thought you were gonna say as a Jew. <laughs> like that's what I was gonna say. Uh, yeah. yeah, if we're if we're gonna call out the bad, let's call out the good. Yeah, Adam let's Silver, call, let's call it, that, that's not a. That's what I'm saying. Like I can't speak to um, every tenet of Judaism. I've, I've taught it. I've taught world religions, um, but from what I've been taught, what the way that people manipulate or anything greedy, where you're manipulating people out of anything, it goes against what has been taught. And I know we don't have a lot of time left, but like there's a lot of, I encourage people to do some studying on their own. And the biggest issue I have with America and teaching and sending kids back to school is we got to start teaching world history. Right. Because we didn't even get into like Israel and how anti- Zionism is an anti-Semitism. Is, am I saying that correctly? Well, there, there are two. I mean, there's Zionism, like there's anti-Zionism and then there's anti-Semitism. And of course, there's overlap between two camps, but they are two completely separate things because there, there are tons of Jews who are anti-Zionist. Like Zionism right. is strictly getting into Israeli politics. And I will say one thing that's caused unfair anti-Semitism is people who have hatred towards Israel conflate Israel and Judaism. And so they hate all Jews on the basis of being against Israel. And those are complicated. Those are complicated discussions. That's an entirely different. That's a whole, right. That's a whole but, different thing. Looking at the but, but my, my, my problem with the lack of understanding in history with Judaism and anti-Semitism is most people, Jews included, don't know the history of anti-Semitism outside of the Holocaust. So like, you know, like the Holocaust was one of the most recent examples, but like Jews, specifically economic anti-Semitism has been happening for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Like Jews have been kicked out of so many places in Europe based on false economic anti-Semitism that was happening long before the Holocaust. So the Holocaust was not the beginning of anti-Semitism any more than slavery was the end of racism. You know, like right. the, the whole happening. I don't know if you've heard this before. I heard the stereotype about like Jewish people and money came from the fact that they were able to give out loans, but because they asked for the money back, all of a sudden. It was not only were they able to, they were 
they had to. Like, there were a lot of Christian countries that brought in Jews specifically to be money lenders because Catholicism doesn't allow charging interest. They consider charging interest on money loaned as usury. So they literally brought in Jews to loan money and then got mad at them for loaning money. Yeah. A lot of Jews, a lot of Jews worked as tax collectors or worked in the bank because those were the only jobs that they would allow Jewish citizens to have. They wouldn't let Jews work in the trades. They wouldn't let Jews work in skills. And like now people love and worship money. But back then money was seen as like a dirty thing to have to deal with money and handle money was low people's skill work. So they brought in Jews and made them work in money and then created this Jews love money, anti-Semitic belief around it. That's, that's, that's just, so fucked up about it. It's so fucked. That's like calling black people lazy after slavery ended. Or right. quote unquote ended. <laughs> that's, it, that's exactly like you're holding, you're holding people accountable for working within a system that you force them to abide by. And that's, that's, that's something to think on. That's something to ponder on, man. Listen, once again, I'll say like, don't make enemies where there aren't enemies. To anybody listening, we got a we got a, we we got a specific goal in mind to end some of this bullshit. I ain't even gonna say 45's real name, but we we got we got a goal and reach out to your allies and really see if people are working against you as an individual or if there's a whole group, which rarely is the case. Uh, I'm so thankful to have you on the show, man. And just, to, I just feel like we just had to talk. That's all. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on it. To that end, any Jewish listeners that you have, I would encourage them to continue to be outspoken and supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement and continue to be allies uh, in the movement for change. Yeah. And for the Black celebrity, like anything that you're doing that's taken away from what the goals are is a distraction. Because I was most upset about, like, I was worried that allies would then turn on the movement. But I've been very happily surprised that people are still like, no, we got to, they still posting our Breonna Taylor. They still posting about um, the kid in Colorado. I'm sorry, his name. Elijah McClain. Yes, Elijah McClain. I'm sorry. Um, People are still going at it. Um, Anything else you're doing besides writing for the show right now? Any plans coming up? No, I mean, you know, I'm always developing my own ideas on the side, but nothing official or anything right now. Just got my hands full trying to be a father and a husband. Yeah, that's that's light work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> father, husband, comedian, writer on The Marvelous Mrs. Meisel, man. Where can they find you? Uh, they can find me now on at Noah G Comedy on IG. I got off Twitter, but they can find me on IG at Noah G Comedy or my website is NoahGComedy.com. Oh shit! Yeah, me. We were looking you up. I was looking for you recently, and it said you like too painful. Guy, it, it just it was ruining. It was ruining my days. I was literally losing sleep over the the onslaught of hate that I was seeing on Twitter. I couldn't take it anymore. I feel it, man. That's it, that's it uh, no longer bringing value to my life. I'm not good at Twitter anyway. It's not like I was killing it with the tweets. So. <laughs> But it was no longer serving me in any kind of positive light, but it was bringing a lot of anger and negative negativity to me. So I had to let it go. Self-care. That's been our show, y'all. Classic Black Dude. Make sure you review. Um, I'm at the Clark Jones, T-H-E-E, Clark Jones everywhere. Make sure you follow at Noah G Comedy and uh, Mazel, my brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Shlamizel. <laughs> <laughs> Shlamizel. <laughs>